0: And so I have a message this morning called Three Steps to Victory in Life. Three Steps to Victory in Life. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Three Steps. I believe I'm going to talk about three different elements. And as a Christian, you were called to master these three elements in life. Say, Master. You must become a master of these three elements. If you'll master these three elements, you'll never backslide again. Some of you feel like, well, I get on fire, and then I lose fire, and I grow cold, and what's wrong with me? You need to master these three elements. If you do, you'll never backslide. You'll stay on fire for God. You'll be used by God. You'll, you'll enter into the kingdom of heaven, and the Lord will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into your reward. Is anybody after that? Is there any Christians in here, you're not only just trying to slide into heaven by the the, the skin of your teeth? Is that the right term? You're trying to receive a reward from God. Is that anybody? I am. Here's these three elements. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. Say Holy. What does holy mean? It means set apart. It means consecrated. It means special. May the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit say spirit. Spirit. And soul say soul. Soul. And body. Say spirit. Spirit. Say soul. Soul. Say body. Body. Be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. There is this is, you know, every single person has is a three-part being. Did you know that? Did you know that that when you look into the mirror, you're only looking at one part of yourself? Every human being has a spirit, has a soul, and has a body. These are the three parts of every person, and these are also the three steps, the three elements every believer must learn to master. You must learn to master the spirit. Say the spirit. You must learn the discipline and master the soul, and you must learn to master the flesh. If you do that, you'll never backslide. Hallelujah. You'll fulfill your full potential in life. So we must master all three parts. I'm telling you, this is the key to victory in life. If, If you... I'm going to be so bold to say this. I'm being honest with you. The Bible talks about that after enduring testings, that we would come out being perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I would be as bold to say that if you can learn to master, if we can learn to master all three of these things, you'll never lack another thing for the rest of your life. You will never live, again, from from sorrow to sorrow, trouble to trouble. You'll live from victory to victory, faith to faith, strength to strength, Glory to glory, in Jesus' name. You'll be like a tree planted along the riverbank who bears fruit in each season. Say each season. Is it a season right now? Well, then The Bible says that you should be bearing fruit in each season. Your leaves never wither, and you prosper in everything that you do. Hallelujah. That's what the blessing of God looks like. But in order for us to walk in the blessing of God, we must master these three things, the spirit, the soul, and the body. So let's break each one down. Number one, the first step, you must keep and maintain your spirit, man. And actually, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. That scripture says, and may the whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So God wants your spirit to be blameless. I'll tell you how your spirit can be blameless. But he doesn't only want your spirit. A lot of Christians, you know where I'm going to go with how to teach you about your spirit being blameless. You know where I'm going to go. You, they have no problem with your spirit. They, they know that they're perfect in their spirit, but it doesn't only say your spirit being made blameless. It means your soul and your body as well. Did you know your soul is to be blameless? Did you know that your flesh is to be blameless? Okay, amen. So number one, what is the first step to victory in life? Number one, keep and maintain your spirit, man. Keep and maintain your spirit man. I told you that your three parts, every single person has a spirit man. Did you know that? Not only those, you think if you're saved that you get the spirit, but every single person has a spirit man. In fact, even those that are unsaved have a spirit man. Did you know that? Because what would happen... If they didn't have a spirit man, what would happen if they were not saved and they died? They would just simply cease to exist, right? But do people that are unsaved, do they cease to exist after they die? No, they're actually eternal. Is their flesh eternal? No. There's a a spirit man in them that is an eternal being. So everybody has a spirit man. You need to understand that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I want you to get this. The only way to get your spirit man blameless is by being born again and getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. So the Bible says, again, the text is, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. So here's the question. How? My spirit man's not automatically blameless, right? If that was the case, then everybody would go to heaven. No matter what you believe, no matter what you did, you'd die and everyone would go to heaven. Does everyone go to heaven? No, so that we have to take steps to make our spirit man perfect, blameless. How do we get our spirit man blameless? The only way to get your spirit man blameless is by being born again. Say, born again, and getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. So I'll read you one verse here Romans 8, 15 through 17. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Look at this. For his spirit joins with what? Our spirit. So that means you have a spirit, man. And when you get saved, God's spirit joins with your spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs according to God's glory. But if we share in the glory, we must also share in his suffering. So I'm going to make it real simple. Number one, what I need to do. If you're not saved in here, you need to get saved. Step one say, get saved. Step one, give your life to Jesus. When you pray that simple prayer, the power of God's released in your life, and it actually says, the spirit man that God made you in his likeness and his image, you have a spirit man, that the Holy Spirit of God comes and joins with your spirit, and the two become one. Did you know that when you're born again, you're not supposed to just be some carnal Christian, you are one with the Holy Ghost. One. Say one. One. So that's how you get your spirit blameless. But let's, let's talk about this. How can you actually master? I said you must master these three things. How can I master my spirit? Or what should, I, I should say it another way. How can I be, how can I operate in the spirit? How can I build that area up in my life? There's three parts of me. How can I strengthen the spiritual part of me? Once you have the Spirit of God, you must build up your spirit man. So say how. Say Look at your neighbor and say, how do I build up my spirit man? I'll give you a few ways. Number one, you build up your spirit man according to the Scripture by praying, praying in the Spirit. Say praying in the Spirit. Jude one twenty. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. How do you do it? By praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible talks about how physical strength, it profits little, but godliness produces a great reward. There's so many people that spend their whole life, especially in my day and age, right, that, I mean, you just look at them, and they live at the gym. Anybody know someone like that? They live at the gym 24 hours a day. No one knows. No one's ever seen that, like the Instagram pictures. Even nowadays, most big church pastors, you see, like, on their Instagram, you know, they're at Planet Fitness in the mirror, flexing. And ultimately, too, that's why, did you know, that's why a lot of Christians won't fast, because when you fast, and I'm not talking six to six, you do like a full fast, the first thing to go is fat, and once the fat goes, guess what, it start, your body starts eating. All that muscle, you spent hours and hours and hours, and, and they look at it and they say, you know what, the anointing, uh, or my muscles. That's why it's really, you guys, I'm telling you, you're going to see me in the next few weeks. Look, if I was a beanpole before, I'm going to look like a beanpole. I'm going to turn sideways and disappear. <laughs> but that's what true humility is. You know, it, it is It is kind of a, my wife, within a few days, started looking at me. I was getting dressed one night, and and I could already see her kind of like, and I was like, I look thinner, don't I? And she's like, yeah, you're already looking a little bit thinner. And You know, that's, that truly is humility, though. When you look in the mirror and you're like, man, I, I'm getting thinner, and I'm getting thinner, and I'm getting thinner. And, and, and But you, you continue to press in. Why? For the anointing. For breakthrough. And to deal with some of these other things. But you pray in the Spirit. And when you pray in the Spirit, it says you build up your most holy faith. So how can I build up the spiritual part of my life? Say prayer. And not only prayer, but prayer in the Holy Ghost. So again, I'm telling you, I heard evangelist, uh, Apostle Dag Haywood Mills say that a, spirit, a person's spirituality can be measured by their prayer, their prayer life. If they have no prayer life, they're not spiritual people. So what happens as you're praying? What happens as you pray for an hour? What happens? You're actually just the same way that you would go to Planet Fitness and and work out in the flesh. You're building up your spirit man. Guys, and I'm going to tell you something happens. There's a lot of people that face a lot of things they don't have to go through, but they spend years and years and years going through things that they never had to go through, and why is it? Because whenever a mountain came, when an obstacle came, they didn't have the spiritual strength to blow right through it. If you will build up your spirit man, I'm telling you, there's not one thing that can stand in your way. Hallelujah. So you must become excellent in building up your spirit man. So it says, again, build yourself up. I'll read it to you the Amplified. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith. Continually progress. Rise like an edifice higher and higher. Pray in the Holy Spirit. What is an edifice? It's a building. It's a building. Say a building. So basically what this is saying is as you pray in the Holy Ghost, it's, it's painting the picture of like a building. A building that's just getting taller and taller and taller and taller and, and higher and higher. Amen. That's what's happening in the Spirit when you pray. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14, 4. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Can we say tongues? What happens when you pray in tongues? You're strengthened personally. You build yourself up. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well, then what should I do? I'll pray in the spirit. And he says, but I'll also pray in words I understand. I'll sing in the spirit, and I'll also sing in words I understand. So how can I build up my spirit man? Say, pray in the Holy Ghost. Y'all, it I was amazing. I was ministering to somebody yesterday, just casual conversation, and it broke out. But they've been watching what we're doing, and he's like, man, I've been talking to me and my wife. Uh, we really want to come. And I could tell he was hesitant, and I was like... I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to say I'm sorry because I'm not. But just know when you come, we're not Baptist. <laughs> we believe and operate and love the Holy Spirit of God. And then we begin to have a conversation because, you know, he, again, he's like, oh, I know. I watch what y'all do. And he said, and, and, and it's amazing, and I see God doing stuff, but I'm just not sure if we're, if we're like, we've talked. And, like, are we really willing to go that route? And I just want to confront something right here. Why do people push away tongues? Is it in the Bible? In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when they were baptized, what was the baptism of the Holy Ghost? He said, go and wait in Jerusalem till you receive the gift the Father promised you. Not a gift, the gift of the new covenant. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is the gift of the new covenant. John the Baptist said before Jesus ever healed one person, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming so much greater than I, I'm not even worthy to untie a sandal straps who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. What did Jesus say in Mark 16, 17? These signs will follow who? Pentecostals? Charismatics? No. Believers. What did he say? They'll cast out devils? Number two, they'll speak in new tongues. Acts 2, baptized in the Holy Ghost, spoke in other tongues. Acts chapter 10, Gentiles hear the gospel for the first time. The spirit falls. The Jews are astounded because they hear them speaking in other tongues and prophesying. Acts chapter 19, Apostle Paul finds some believers by the riverbank. Says, which baptism did you receive? Oh, we received the baptism of water. But even John spoke of one coming who is greater than him, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And upon hearing this, Apostle Paul laid his hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit spirit and began speaking in other tongues he taught it to the to the church in first corinthians when you speak in tongues you edify yourself he gave a a, between tongues and prophecy one of the nine gifts of the spirit is what speaking in tongues ephesians chapter six part of the armor of god is what pray in the spirit on all occasions Why are people dancing around it? I don't know about you, but I'm not like that. I've decided if I'm the only one, I'm going to have everything this Bible says I can have. I don't care what persecution it brings. I don't care who doesn't like it. I don't care if it makes you uncomfortable. You do what you want. I'm going to have everything this Bible says I can have. And I'm not going to live some type of Christianity that when I get to these passages, I got to go, oop. Oh, I don't know about that one. Well, why not? Because it makes me uncomfortable. I'll tell you why it makes you uncomfortable if you just stick with me in a moment. So how can, I, how can I master my spirit man? Pray in the Holy Ghost. Every believer, say every believer. According to this word, this isn't John's opinion. If you just looked at, from a scriptural perspective, every believer is to be baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And every believer should pray in the spirit every day. Say every day. Did you know the early church Christians prayed one hour per day? Not just the pastors or ministers, the Christian, the average day Christian in the early church, they prayed one hour every day. You should be given to prayer and prayer in the spirit. And what'll happen? You'll build that the spirit man up in your life. Come on. How else? How can I keep and maintain my spirit man? Number two, be constantly refilled. Say, be constantly refilled. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. One translation says, be ye being filled. Say, being filled. So here's my point here. When you get filled with the Holy Ghost, it's not supposed to be a one-time occurrence in your life. It says, be ye being filled, a a constant refilling. There should be times that you come back where, where I'll show you this in the scripture. Look, in Acts chapter 4. So when was the Holy Ghost poured out? Acts 2. When were the apostles and the 120 baptized in the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 4, had they already been baptized by God's Spirit at this point? Say yes. But look, they began to pray in the midst of persecution, and this is the end of their prayer. They gathered in a home, and they said, Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with Boldness, Say boldness. Boldness. So they had already been baptized in the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, but here you have them again in Acts 4. What was it? It was a fresh baptism. It was a fresh fire. Come on, it it was a renewed anointing. It was another outpouring. The Bible doesn't only teach that you need to get oil in your lamp, Matthew chapter 25, you must constantly renew the oil in your lamp. You can't let the oil run out of your lamp. How do you not let the oil run out of your lamp? Get filled. Get refilled. Do you understand why it's important to come to revival meetings? What am I doing when I come? Man, I'm getting a fresh touch. I'm getting a fresh fire from the Holy Ghost. My oil's getting getting refilled in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is more than one filling. It's to be ever filled. Anybody ever heard of a great man of God, Smith Wigglesworth? He said, every believer should pray in the spirit until joy comes. Or he also said, he said, if you'll pray in the spirit every day until joy comes, until the joy, not just in your head, the emotion, joy is a fruit of the spirit. Till joy rises up out of your spirit, he said, you'll never backslide. He also said another time, every believer should pray in the spirit till a song comes. And he said if you if once the song comes, just sing the song. <laughs> Amen. And, and what'll happen? God, you will be refilled by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Anybody in here like that? I don't know about you, but I've decided that for me, I'm going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back, getting hungry, getting thirsty, asking the Lord to pour out his spirit on me. Is that anybody else in here? I'm telling you the same word for him. If you'll press in, God will give you a fresh fire in these next two weeks in Jesus' name. So that's how you maintain your spirit. you got to get saved. That's when his spirit joins with your spirit. Once you get saved, you need to pray. You need to build up your spirit, man, by praying in the Holy Ghost. And then be constantly refilled. So now say the soul. In our original text... It says your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So not only is our spirit to be kept blameless, a lot of Christians get that, right? Jesus is perfect and in the spirit, I'm perfect and all of that. But it doesn't just say your spirit, it says your soul. So what is your soul? Your soul, I'll break it down very simply, your soul is this, your mind, your will, your emotions. It's your intellectual being. Amen. That's what that Greek word means there. So not only is your spirit eternal, did you know your soul is eternal as well? What do I mean by that? When you get to heaven, because who's going to heaven in here? When you get to heaven, you're not going to be wiped slate like, like a robot that has a clean slate where you're totally different. You have no memories of your life. You don't recognize anybody that you see. That no your soul it's your mind it's your will it's your it's your emotions it's your intellectual being in fact we know that this is eternal you will still be you after your flesh dies think about the parable of lazarus and the rich man i'm not going to read that but jesus told a parable that there was a rich man and a and a and a poor man named lazarus they both died one went to a, a place of torture and one went to what was known as abraham's bosom And what happened? Lazarus, the rich man's burning in fire, and he looks across the chasm, and what does he see? Lazarus, his servant. And he says, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus over and and have him give me just a little bit of water. I'm in agony. What does that tell you? The rich man, even though his flesh had died right? His intellectual being, his mind, will, emotions, experience, he still had all of those things. He knew who his servant was. He knew who he was. In fact, he knew who his brothers were because of the rest of that parable. He says, father Abraham, please send somebody to warn my brothers so that they don't end up in this place. So your soul is also eternal. So the Bible says that your soul must be kept blameless. How do you keep and maintain your soul? So I'm talking about three keys to success. Number one, you must master the discipline of your spirit. You must learn to build your spirit man up, as we discussed. Now, number two, you must learn to build or maintain your soul. How how can I make my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions blameless? You must renew your soul with the word. What's your soul? Say my mind. You must renew your soul with the word of God. Ephesians 5, 26, so that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So what does the word of God do? It cleanses you. It washes you. Amen. It cleanses you. It washes you. Look at um, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed. So say transform. You know, God's not in the business of getting just people saved and then leaving them out to dry, hang to, you know, leaving them out to hang. He wants you to live it. Get, you can actually become a brand new person. People can actually at some point look at you and say, you're not the same person that I knew 15 years ago. You're not the same person that I met last year. What's happening? You're being transformed. How does God transform your life on a practical way? It says, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually. Wow. So what's the key to spiritual maturity? By the renewing of your mind. I want you to say, I must renew my mind. mind. How do we renew our mind? It says, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. This is the Amplified. So that you may prove for yourselves what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, perfect in His plan and purpose for you. I'm going to read that in the NLT as well. Y'all with me this morning? Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. We'll deal with the bodies in a moment. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way that you think. So how does God transform, change the way that we think? He renews our mind. How does he renew our mind? With the washing of the word. Say the word. Hallelujah. You know, the key is this. Every person is a three-part being, right? Say, I'm a spirit. I have a soul. And I have a body. I'll get to this in a moment, but your spirit and your flesh are constantly doing this. And your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions is actually neutral. Right in the middle. And so the key is this, you have to get your soul to come in a line or to come in agreement with your spirit. In order to get victory, you have to get your mind to come into agreement. What does that mean? That... His ways become my ways. As I begin to read this word, God begins to change the way that I think. And I I begin to believe. I begin to live a life of faith. I begin to believe the word of God. And as he transforms my mind, I'm transformed by my thinking into a new creation. Where now my mind, my mind, my will, my emotions, my desire, my intellectual being is in agreement with the Holy Spirit of God. And guess what happens? Your three-part being, when your mind, will, and emotions comes into agreement with your spirit, guess what? It's two versus one every single time. And your spirit conquers your flesh. But what a lot of people do, because remember, your mind is neutral. If the mind is left to itself, it will always follow the flesh every time. I've heard it said like this, but a dead fish can swim downstream. Right? What does it take to go downstream? It takes nothing to go downstream. You don't have to do it. A dead fish can float downstream. Are you with me? And so if your mind, and that's what a lot of Christians do, they get saved. And once they get saved, now they, their spirit of God is joined with their spirit. But they also have this carnal nature, which we'll deal with in just a moment. But they never, guys, I'm telling you, Christians, they're not in the Word. They're not getting their mind renewed by the Word. There's Christians that have been saved for 10 or 15 years, and Apostle Paul said, You should be teaching other people by now. But why? I know it's ironic, but because we, we're just too busy. We're too busy. We're too busy. We're too busy doing these things, and so our mind is left unrenewed. And guess what? It just automatically every time it, it just floats downstream. It goes with our flesh every time. Where we think we're Christians, we confess the name of Jesus, but we think carnal, our desires are carnal, our lifestyle's carnal, our thoughts are carnal, our heart is carnal, our words are carnal, and guess what? Two verses one, it supersedes the spirit. It blocks the spirit, it chokes the spirit. It hinders the spirit of God. Are you all still with me? Is this too much? Some Christians fail because they never maintain their soul. So what do you think about that text that we started with? And may your whole soul, we'll just say soul, spirit, soul, and body, may your soul be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again. What does that mean? God has an expectation for us to renew our mind. That means that when Christ comes back, it ain't acceptable that we just sat there and and continue to have a carnal mind our entire lives. You know, Jesus will save you wherever you're at. It doesn't matter if you were on the streets doing drugs. It doesn't matter if you're a prostitute. It doesn't matter what sin you want to classify as. He'll take you exactly where you are today. But I'm going to tell you something. You can't stay in that place. At some point, if you're hungry for God, you've got to begin to get into this word and be transformed and change the way that you think. Are you with me? You've got to get faith. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, the Bible says you can't even please God. So many Christians have no faith. Why do they have no faith? Because they have no word and they're carnal Christians that can't even please God in anything that they do. So God expects us to get a hold of this word and to use it. The word of God is like a two-edged sword, sharper than a two-edged sword. Dividing joint from marrow. Dividing soul and spirit. What's your soul? Your mind, will, and emotion. It goes on to say in that passage, in that verse, that the the word of God exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Let me just simplify it. God expects you to become a master of your mind. you got to take this word and begin to use it like a weapon and say, that stuff that Uncle Bucky taught me, it's not right according to this word. I can't tell you how many people I meet. They have such a hard time believing this. And it's like, why? Well, I didn't grow up believing that way. Nobody grew up believing that way, right? A lot of people didn't. You've got to change. I've got to change. I've got to take this word like a weapon and begin to transform my mind to become a child of the living God. I'm going to talk like a covenant man and you're going to talk like a covenant man and a covenant woman of God. Hallelujah. You're going to think right. Amen. Amen. And your thoughts are going to line up with the Spirit of God. And guess what? There's nothing that will stop you. Can you imagine a person whose, whose desires are the same as the Holy Ghost's desires? Powerful. Amen. If you want victory in your life, you must renew your mind. Your soul must be purified by the word and found blameless. Amen. Let's get to number three. Are you guys enjoying this this morning? This is the third one, the third key. So we have to learn to master our spirit. We have to learn the, the I should say, because we can't just master the Holy Ghost. But I'm talking about we must learn the method, master the method of building up our spirit. Amen. Amen. Every believer must master the method of building up their spirit. And I hope today you'll take these things and and you'll become proficient. Man, I'm going to build my spirit man up. You must become a master of your mind. And number three, so the text doesn't only say may your whole spirit and your whole soul. It also says what? What? Body. Say body. Body. May your body. What is your body? It's your flesh nature. God says, may your flesh be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. You must keep and maintain your flesh. Your flesh nature. Say your flesh nature. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. This was really what I wanted to deal with this morning. Y'all I'm going to tell you, this will be one of my points, and maybe I'll just preach it now, but a lot of people, you know what their problem is? Their flesh. Did you know that the devil, once you're saved, the devil is no longer your problem anymore? Either way you look at it, you know even the armor of God, he said Gird up with the whole armor of God. If you do, you'll stand in the time of testing. You'll stand in the day of evil. And after having fought the fight, after the day of evil comes and goes, you'll still be standing. You'll resist the devil. He'll flee from you. You'll hold up the shield of faith. And did it say, what what will happen? You'll be a Christian that just boom, boom, boom. You just get hit left and right. You'll quench every, say every. That means not 98 and 2 get through. You'll quench every fiery dart of the enemy. That means a Christian that lives above the demonic power, that lives immune to demonic power. The Bible says in Luke 10, 19, I've given you all authority over the power of the devil. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, I've seated you far above in heavenly places, seated far above every ruler, principality, power in this world and in the unseen world. The Bible says in Colossians, I've transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It says in Colossians 2, I've disarmed the enemy. It says in 1 John, the son holds us securely, and the evil one touches us not. So is the devil your problem? Say this. Say, I have victory in Christ over the devil. Say it loud. Say, the devil can't touch me. He has no right if I won't let him. So if the devil's not our problem, what is the problem for most people? It's their flesh nature that they never learned to master. For a lot of people, the devil's not the one ruining their life. Your flesh is ruining your life. And in fact, I'll tell you something. Your flesh is actually the only thing that gives access to the devil in your life. Did you know that Jesus, he was tested just like all of us. He faced every temptation that every man ever had, but he sinned not. What does that mean? He actually mastered this element. He mastered the, the natural side of man. And the, that's why when Judas was approaching, he said, Look, the, the ruler of this world comes, but fear not. He has nothing in me. What does that mean? When he went to grab Jesus, if the devil went to touch Jesus, why do you think he could just slip through the crowds and no one could touch him? The devil had nothing to grab onto. But whenever our flesh is hanging off... Right? I know it's, I know this is kind of gross, but the Bible talks about spiritual circumcision. You know, when you're circumcised, what does circumcise mean? Cut away. It's when something gets something. If you don't know what that something is, go ask your mom after church. Something gets cut away. And the, the work of the Holy Ghost is a spiritual circumcision. What does that actually mean? It's a cutting away. A cutting away of what? Of the flesh nature. It's, a cutting, it's, it's this mastery of the flesh nature. But when we refuse to, to master our flesh, guess what? The devil comes because it's not cut away and it's still hanging out there, right? He's able to grab a hold, and that's what gives him access into our lives. Sorry, Jamie. So look, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature, say my sinful nature. That's the, same. that's the flesh, that's your body, your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Look at this line here. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. So you got the three part of a man, spirit, soul, body, flesh, nature. The spirit and the flesh nature of a man are constantly fighting, right? Do you see that? I missed this point, but I want you to see this. Our flesh nature, say this, say my flesh nature is an enemy of the spirit and all that comes from the spirit. One more time, my flesh nature is not my friend. It's an enemy of the Spirit and all that comes from the Spirit. So as we see, they're constantly fighting against each other, the flesh nature and the Spirit. Let's read this, Romans chapter 8, 5 through 14. Those who are dominated by their sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Holy Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control you, control your mind, leads to death. What's your mind? That's your soul. Letting that sin nature, that carnal nature, control your soul, not renewing it with the word of God. What does it say? It leads to death. Guys, and I'm not just going to tell you it leads to, yes, you'll die, but that's actually in context. It's talking about hell. You want to be a Christian that, uh, that never renews your mind and never learns to master your flesh, it will lead to hell. Galatians chapter 5. This is the fruit of the flesh. He goes on to list and he says, Don't you understand that these people will never inherit the kingdom of heaven? But letting your spirit control your mind leads to life. Say life. And not only does the Holy Ghost lead to life, but Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life. And what? Life abundantly. Say abundant life. What is the, where is the Holy Ghost trying to take every person? To green pastures. To still waters. To a place where your cup overflows with blessing. Isn't that what he said? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Didn't Jesus say in John 15, I am the great shepherd? But I'm leaving, and I'm sending the advocate who will lead you the way that I'm leading you as the shepherd now. The Holy Ghost will come, and he'll be your shepherd. And what will he do? He'll take you to the place where you'll never want. He'll take you to the place of green pasture. He'll take you to the place of life and life abundantly. He'll take you to the place where there's a feast prepared in the presence of your enemies. Is that anybody in here? Come on, give, take five seconds and give the Lord a shout of praise. But your sinful nature is an enemy of the Spirit and all that comes from the Spirit. Look at this. It says, letting the Spirit control our mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. So, is that something we should take lightly? Say no. No. It never will. All right, let's hold all praying to the end. Don't worry, we're going to do all praying. I want you guys to hear this. Amen. Just telling you guys, I love you, but it's hard to talk and listen at the same time. Trust me, us men (laughs) know. That's why those who are still under the control, look at this. Those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. So what does that show you? You don't have to be under the control of your sinful nature. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if, the, if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. And as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. Another translation says he'll quicken your mortal bodies. The spirit, say the spirit, quickens my mortal body. You know, you can, you can access healing at any time. You can, I've actually heard many people that the Lord spoke that verse to them who were battling with infirmity, and they pressed in and said, Lord, your spirit quickens my mortal body and gives me life. And they pressed in, they prayed, they fasted, they sought the Lord, they got in the Holy Ghost, and guess what happened? Like a surging fire and wave, it quickened their mortal body, and it burned all the sickness out. That is why those, okay, wait, okay, look. therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So what does the Bible say? You hear it, right? You hear people say, we're all sinners. We're all, you know, we're all sinners and we're all going to sin every day. You hear people talk like that? Is that what the Bible says? Does it say that you should coddle your sin nature? No, it actually says it's an enemy to God. It's at war with the Holy Ghost, that it never will please God. It's hostile towards the things of God. And it actually doesn't say we're all just supposed to sin every day and walk around with all this flesh hanging down to the ground and be carnal Christians. It says you have to rise up by the power of the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's why, you know, people, the same people that kick the Holy Ghost out of Christianity are the same ones that teach you that you're just a sinner that'll sin every day. Well, that's probably true for them because they have no power to master that sin. Say power. You know, Jesus doesn't only do, give us power to do miracles. You shall receive what in Acts one eight. Say power. When the Spirit comes upon you, what does that power do? It'll anoint you. You'll be my witness everywhere. You can operate in signs, wonders, and miracles. But it also, there's a power that comes that allows you to master that flesh nature. To live, to make your flesh blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the point was this. Our flesh nature is an enemy of the Spirit Not only is it an enemy, it wages war against the spirit, it's an enemy of the spirit and all that comes from the spirit. So let me ask this question. What comes from the spirit? Well, I got a few things. There's many, but I'm just going to list a few. Number one, divine guidance and divine revelation. John 16, 13 through 15. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Wow, say the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So guess what? Has anybody ever thought, I sure would like to hear from Jesus? Jesus, please speak to me. Jesus, speak to me. According to the word, how does Jesus speak to you? Through the spirit. But you know why a lot of people spend their whole life never able to hear the voice of God? never able to hear the voice of the Holy Ghost because they're walking around in skin suits hanging down to the ground and they've never learned to master that flesh and their mind, their soul, their will, their emotions is partnered up with their flesh and they're completely blocking the work, the ministry, the fruit, the power of the Holy Ghost in their lives. You want to hear from God? Deal with your flesh nature. You'll hear from God. Why do you think that when you begin to pray and fast, which I'll get to, that, what is fasting? What's the mo- One of the major things about fasting, it's dealing with this flesh nature. Why is it so easy to hear from God when we're on a fast? Why can you be in a prayer meeting when you're fasting and it's like, man, it's just like the Lord's dropping this in my spirit, he's dropping this in my spirit, he's dropping this in my spirit, because you are literally subduing the only thing that is a hindrance to the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. The flesh prevents you from hearing God. What else comes from the Holy Ghost? Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Say power. power. So the flesh hinders the power. The flesh hinders the anointing. The flesh hinders the gifts of the Holy Ghost flowing through our lives. You know, there's a gift of the Holy Ghost called faith. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, has anybody ever wanted to move a mountain in your life? Has there ever been something that rose up that you're like, I need this thing to move? Anybody? Well, Jesus said that we do it by faith. Mark 11, 22 through 24. Faith is actually a fruit. It's a gift of the Holy Ghost. There's faith that comes by hearing. There's faith that comes by training. There's faith that comes by the word, but there's a gift of faith. So... The flesh hinders the fruit of the Spirit. That means the flesh hinders you operating in prophecy, you operating in tongues, you operating in healing, you operating in miracles, you operating in faith. The flesh hinders the Holy Spirit. It wages war against it. I want you to get this this morning. Your flesh, say my flesh, is not my friend. You need to get this in you today. Why are we radical about prayer and fasting? Your flesh is an enemy to your healing. Did you know that your healing doesn't come from your flesh? It comes from your spirit. Amen. Amen. He will quicken your mortal body and give you life. Your flesh is an enemy to your healing. Your flesh is an enemy to your provision, to miraculous provision. That all comes from the spirit of God. Am I boring anybody over here? Your flesh is an enemy to your breakthrough. Your flesh is an enemy to the life of Christ in you. So, what are we to do about this flesh? Get this this morning. We must subdue and master our flesh. How are we supposed, wow, man, this flesh, it's, that stuff really sucks. Apparently, according to the Bible, that's a big problem. What am I supposed to do about that? F- be friends and play pat-a-keg with it? No, we must subdue and master the flesh. This is the key. Remember in our, our text that That your body would be found blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does that tell you? That we have to rise up in the spirit. We have to get into this word and transform our mind. And we have to subdue and master our flesh. We can't stay carnal beings. We must subdue and master. Genesis 4, 7. This is God speaking to Cain. You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, watch out. This is a warning to everybody. Sin is crouching at the door, and it's eager to control you. What does your flesh nature want to do? Control you. Say, control me. Say, destroy me. The flesh is the access point to the devil, right? What does the devil do? He comes to steal, to kill, to destroy It's eager to control you. But look what he said. You must subdue it and you must be its master. Man, that's powerful. I've taken that verse literal in this time of prayer and fasting. I am going, we are going to become masters of our flesh. We're not going to become servants of this carnal nature. We are going to learn to subdue and master this carnal nature that is an enemy to the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Romans 6.6, 6. so we must subdue and master. Say that, we must subdue and master our flesh. Romans 6.6, 6. we know that our old self, this is amplified, our human nature without the Holy Spirit was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. What does that tell you guys? When Jesus went to the cross, the NLT says he broke the power of sin. What does that actually mean? He he made a way for us to become masters of our of our flesh nature. That's why Paul said you don't have to follow the desires of your flesh. Man, that's powerful. Romans 6:11 through 14. So you should also consider yourself dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way that you live and do not give in to sinful desires. How is that possible if we're all just a bunch of sinners that sin every day? Let's get back to the Bible. We can become masters of the flesh. And if we can master these three areas, our spirit man, build our spirit man up, learn to master our mind with the word of God, and learn to master this flesh nature, we will have victory in every season of our lives. And we will see the power and glory of God. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Romans 13, 14. So put to death. I'm sorry, this is Colossians 3. Put to death. Say put to death. The sinful earthly things lurking in you. Put it to death. Say put it to death. Subdue it. Master it. Romans thirteen fourteen. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. I already went over this. I'm not going to do it again. But your biggest enemy in your life is not the devil. He's defeated. Your biggest enemy is your flesh nature. We are not called to tolerate our flesh nature. We are to become a master of our flesh nature. That is what I'm, I'm done. I'm about to close. That is the problem in people's lives. People are ruining their lives. You're, you're, get this, guys, your flesh never wants to please God. So when are we going to rise up with our soul, with our mind, transform and, and realize? Like, so many people just live off of their feelings. What is your feelings? It's your flesh. How many people have said that? Well, I, I'm not going to go to church today. Is that, does the Holy Ghost not want you to go to church? Hmm. That's really strange considering he wrote the verse that says, don't forsake assembling together as some people do. And yet we know that God's not double-minded. And the Bible says that every scripture is profitable, good for teaching, rebuking, exhorting. Every scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wrote that verse. So what is that in us? Wow, I don't really feel like going to church today. Well, you just, you just answered it. You're flesh. You're flesh. Why do marriages fall apart? Flesh. Why do, why, do people, why do people not serve the call of God? Because Jesus requires everything from you. When it comes down to it, hey, if y'all start packing up, I'm just going to, well, all right. You guys are done, I guess. No? Okay. Hey, Kenneth E. Hagan did that. If he was preaching and he knew it was about closing time and all the students started putting their books up, he would just close his Bible and say, I guess that's all y'all can handle. See you next time. That's the same thing. When, we, when you pray, who's ever felt that when you're praying in the Holy Ghost, that there's like this kickback? You ever been in a prayer meeting where you're praying in the Holy Ghost and it's like, oh, I don't want to, you know? Like, what is that? That's your flesh. I and mean, you know what a lot of people do is they'll, they'll yield to that flesh, They'll yield to that feeling. They'll yield to the feeling to not come to church. They'll yield to the feeling to not tithe. They'll yield to the feeling to not fast. They'll yield to the feeling to not pray. And they're not doing what the Bible says. You're actually supposed to break through that feeling and learn to master and subdue it. I will pray. That's what the old saying, pray, Praying through. I'll pray till I get the anointing. I'll pray till I get fresh oil. I'm going to push through this stupid thought, this stupid, stupid decision. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. Following Jesus is not hard. It's a decision. That's all that it is. Coming to church is not hard. It's a decision. Me and my house will serve the Lord. We'll live by principle, and these principles come from the Word of God. We're going to be praying people. We're going to be fasting people. We're going to be obedient people. We're going to do what the Lord says to do, even on days we don't feel like it. Why? Because I'm a master of my flesh. If I live by its dictates, it will lead me to hell. But if I follow the voice and the leading of the Holy Ghost, it will produce life in me. You can give the Lord a shout for that. Each person, we must master the flesh before we can walk in the anointing. Jesus fasted for 40 days. After he was baptized with the Holy Ghost, it says the Spirit led him into the wilderness where he did what? Prayed and fasted for 40 days. Say the flesh test. There's so much that God wants to give people, but that he can't because they won't pass the flesh test. They're still servants, they still live on a feeling. I, don't, I love what Smith Wigglesworth said. People used to walk up to him and say, how are you, Brother Smith? And he'd look at him and say, I don't know. I don't ask Smith how he is. I tell him how he is. That's a man of faith. Why? Because the Bible says I'm blessed. The Bible says I'm, I'm the head and not the tail. The Bible says I'm above and not beneath. The Bible says I have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. The Bible says that I'm the seed of Abraham. I could go on and on and on and on about what the Bible says about me. So what do you mean? How am I? I'm going to speak according to the word of God. I don't care how I feel. I'll tell you how I am because of the word of God. You need to start telling yourself that you're healed and stop complaining about your sickness. By his stripes ye were healed not going to be healed not might be healed jesus paid the price who's ever seen the passion of the christ man i watched that movie recently i haven't watched it since i was a kid i haven't even been able to stomach finishing it but it was worse you know the scene where he's just getting whipped and whipped when i watch that i'm telling you it just solidified it i refuse to be sick If he was willing to be tied to that whipping post and beaten and shredded and then flipped over on his back and his stomach beating and shredding and he took that for me to be healed, I'm not playing games with the devil. I'm not playing games with sickness and disease. I'm not playing games with my flesh. I'll pray, I'll fast, I'll break through and I'll get an answer from God and I refuse to live subservient to this flesh nature. Jesus had to pray and fast before he could operate in miracles. He had to pass the flesh test. The disciples, what did they do before they received the Holy Ghost in Acts 2? Go and wait. What were they doing while they were waiting? For days and days and days, they were praying. I don't only believe they were praying. I believe they were fasting. Jesus said, they came to Jesus while he was on the earth and said, Why don't your disciples fast like the Pharisees or like John's? He said, that the guests should not fast while the bridegroom is present. But the bridegroom will be taken away, then they will fast. I really believe if you study the pattern of the early church, they took every word that he said so literal, so literal. I believe that when he ascended into heaven and said, go and wait, they weren't just praying, he, they knew, now he's taken away, now is the time for us to fast. They prayed, they fasted, Jesus appeared to 500-something people, and there was only 120 in the upper room. Who were the 120? The people that said, I'm not going to let go, I'm not going to stop, I'm going to press in, I'm going to master this, I'm going to be obedient to God at all costs. And the numbers begin to dwindle down until 120. But then on the day of Pentecost, there came a sound like the, the sound of a mighty rushing windstorm that filled the house in which they were sitting and cloven tongues like flames of fire came and settled upon each of them and they were baptized in the Holy Ghost and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance they had to pray and fast before they could be launched into the anointing anybody want to be used by God anybody want to be used by God in here you have to master your flesh praise God Praise God. I want to take a moment. I want you right now. Stand to your feet and lift your hands. And I'm going to pray this prayer. And I want you to, to just receive from God. Lord, I thank you right now. Come on, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, I want you to begin to pray. Thank you, Father, right now. That during these next 14 days, as they press into you and they learn to master their flesh nature, that the Holy Ghost will begin to flow through them like a rushing river. Out of their innermost being, the spirit of the living God will flow unhindered unhindered in Jesus' name. And when the Spirit is allowed to flow unhindered, signs will follow, miracles will follow, breakthrough will follow, deliverance will follow, blessing will follow, prosperity will follow in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Jesus. hallelujah, And I decree it over them as I have before, that everything that they would consider a problem in their life as of right now will be supernaturally solved and dissolved and turned around in the name of Jesus Christ. Set your faith now that the next two weeks, this issue that I have walked with, I walk with it no more in Jesus' name. That my God, the God of Elijah, will answer me by fire. Not in thought and theory, but I'll see it with my eyes. And I'll hold it in my hand in the name of Jesus. Because faith is not a thought or theory. Faith is to possess the promises of God. Hallelujah. If you believe that and you receive it, just give the Lord a shout of praise this morning. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.